Hello from Paul and Rachel and happy Christmas Day. Yes, yes, it's Christmas Day. We're here at last. <laughs> OK, good. Well, have you had fun in the last month then of Here Comes Christmas podcast? Um, yes, I've really enjoyed doing them. Good. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I think we found out a lot of facts that we wouldn't necessarily have thought about That's in the true. past. Yeah, I learned a lot about yeah, Christmas. Yes. In fact, I think I know more about Christmas than you do. Oh, one-upsmanship. Go on then. Shall we have a <laughs> Shall we have a test? We're going to have a test. OK, folks, at home, if you want to have a, a what do we know about Christmas test, see if you can beat us. We've got some questions to ask each other and we'll see how this goes. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. OK. I'm up for it. Okay, Rachel, your starter for 10. Yes. When is Stir Up Sunday? Ah, I know this because there is a Stir Up collect. Um, So it starts Stir Up, We Beseech Thee, O God. And it is the Sunday before Advent. Ah, right. Okay, you got that Mm. one. All right. All right, let you have that. Okay. Go on then, ask me one. Okay. How many ghosts are there in Dickens' Christmas Carol? Um, right, there's the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future, and there is also Jacob Marley. Yes. So there are four. Scary Jacob Marley. In fact, they're all quite scary, aren't they, really? <laughs> <laughs> Great story. Yes. There's been more versions of Christmas Carol this year than ever, apparently. The really? Dramatic ones and... How has that worked? I don't know. When there are no working. It's... There was one due to go on in London... Yeah. But, of course, I think it only had a couple of performances and then it was cancelled. My favourite is The Muppets. OK, yeah, but that hasn't been done <laughs> this year. <laughs> OK, um, why uh, why does Santa wear a red suit? Who? Oh, is that something to do with Coca-Cola? Ah, a lot of people think that it's to do with Coca-Cola yeah. because Coca-Cola had an advertising campaign yeah. mm. in 1931 where they made a big thing of the red suit. However, it's older than that. There was an American cartoonist called Robert Nast Mm. who uh, actually characterised him back in the 1800s. So, yeah. Do you know, I remember my grandmother used to have little little cards and pictures of Father Christmas and she was born in 1891 and I used to love these as a child. I don't know if my sister still got them. Um, but there were some dressed in red and some in green. Green was, was yeah. very traditional for a long time. Mm. Well, Father Christmas, who was a, actually a, a different incarnation than Santa Claus. So. Oh, it gets well, all very I complicated. It was all to do with St. Nicholas. Yeah, the, those three guys you okay. uh, <laughs> are all mixed in there somewhere. <laughs> Go on then, your turn. Okay, how many gifts were given in total on the 12 days of Christmas? Oh. <laughs> Trick question. It's not 12 because you're... Of course not. They're no. added up. It's 300 yeah. and something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 364. Mm. I actually thought that some of those were a bit, um, what's the word, uh, politically incorrect. I mean, when you're giving gifts of maids and so on, <laughs> is this sort of modern slavery that we're talking about here? <laughs> maids are milking. So that actually is the cows as well. So actually that should be doubled up, shouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear. Yes. Okay. 
Um, right. When when did uh, Christmas crackers come from? Who invented those? Oh, I don't know that. Okay. Give up on that one? Yeah, give up. Okay. So uh, apparently it was... Nobel. A... Dynamite. No. no, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, okay. It was a London confectioner, a guy called Tom Smith, mm. who had the idea in 1847. And he got it from seeing... Uh, things that were made in France. They had these uh, bonbons that were wrapped uh, in paper at each end and they had a, a kind of message in them, a bit like uh, fortune cookies, I would think. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of the little explosion was invented. So Tom Smith's crackers, he called them bangs of expectation <laughs> when they were first <laughs> sold. So, go on then, Mm. hit me with another. Okay, Uh, in which Christmas movie does Tom Hanks play six characters? Ah, I well, Tom Hanks was in Polar Express, and I think it's a bit of a trick question again, isn't it? Because he actually voiced a lot of characters in that film, so, Mm. yeah. So it's actually a sort of a very clever animation. Uh, it is, yeah. No, it is. The answer is Polar Express. Okay. Yes, and people of all ages. He he voiced. Mm. So perhaps they got a good deal on the paying him to do six actors. You know? Well, yeah, I bet he did quite <laughs> well out of that. Mm. Okay, uh, where did the word carol, as in Christmas carol, come from? Um, isn't it a circle dance? In yes. medieval times. Yeah. And they used to, um, first of all, dance in a circle and then they sang as well as dancing and it became known as carol. Yeah. So they had carols uh, at all sorts of times of year. There's a lot of Easter carols as well. You don't mm. hear yeah. now. Mm. So a uh, bonus question then, who, who actually got carols going for Christmas? Oh, I would say Oxford University Press. There was the Oxford Book of Carols when Mm. I was a child. Was it before that? I believe that Francis of Assisi actually was the guy that started. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, we mentioned him earlier on, didn't we, in the Mm. month? Yes. Yeah. Good animal guy. Well, he was before Oxford (laughs) University Press. (laughs) Go on then. Um, Right. When do the 12 days of Christmas start? When is the first day of Christmas? The first day of Christmas is Christmas Day, isn't it? It is, yes, because I've always had this uh, question in my mind. A, when do you take your decorations down? And B, when is the 12th day of Christmas? And of course, if you say Christmas Day is the first day, then you take your decorations down on the 5th, which is the 12th day of Christmas. And not on the 6th, which is what most people do, isn't it? So what happens if you don't take your Christmas decorations? (gasps) Oh, I don't know. They turn into goblins. Do they? What, the decorations? Yes, (laughs) they come and get you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What, the angels that you put on your tree? I don't know, the the things that you hang up. I think you're talking rubbish now. (laughs) Deadly serious, every word of it is true. All right, and how many wise men came to see Jesus? Okay, is this a trick question? Because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, but that doesn't necessarily mean mean that there were three kings, three Mm. wise men. The Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men. It just says that these guys came with three gifts. Mm. So it could be two chaps with two and one, or Mm. it could have been 
20 with who didn't find anything to bring. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what's the traditional thing that's put inside a Christmas pudding? Ah, uh, I would have said sixpences, but... Mm. Well, yeah. Is that right? I think it is, yes, yeah. Not good for the teeth, is it, really? No. If you take a big bite and crunch down hard and hit one of those. I wonder how many teeth have been broken over the generations. Or people who have choked on sixpences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and apart from that, it's just really not hygienic, is it, to put dirty coins in food? No, I, I think that one's dying out a bit now. Not many sixpences around like they used to be. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, it's unlikely that there's going to be a, a white Christmas this year. I think I checked up and Ladbrokes are doing it at 10 to 1 as a, the odds. I would have thought it was wider odds than that myself. But what's the definition of a white Christmas? Well, you said earlier on in the month that it was if snow actually fell on Christmas Day and not that. So we could have six feet of snow, but if it doesn't fall... That's not a white Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Well, they, they I actually thought that was a bit of a rubbish <laughs> idea. Actually, <laughs> apparently they take it as uh, is that if a snowflake falls on the Met Office roof on oh, Christmas right. Day. Okay. Okay. But if not, then it's not a white Christmas. So sorry. So Ernie, the Met Office is that in London? Yeah. Mm. Right. So what about Avimore? Because already. Snow is right down into Yorkshire, isn't it? Mm. I think you can bet on different cities in the country. I don't know. I've never taken a bet on I that. I know. But, uh, I know. Okay. Right. Which city donates Trafalgar Square's Christmas trees? Oh. Tree each year. Uh, doesn't it come from Norway or somewhere? Mm, yeah, it's right. Oslo. Oslo. Mm. Okay. Yes. And it's something to do with gratitude for the war, isn't it? Because they've been doing it since 1947. 1947 was a very cold Christmas, wasn't it? I, I, I've never heard of this, but I'm told. Okay, here we go. So <laughs> what is the tradition, a Somerset tradition, so I'm told, and parts of Dorset, what happens if you are the last one to finish your sprouts at a Christmas dinner? <laughs> I honestly don't know. <laughs> Go on, tell me. I don't believe this. Allegedly, you were supposed to do the washing up dressed as a turkey. <laughs> okay. I wonder who has a turkey costume. I don't costume. know who that one. <laughs> Supposed to have originated in the 1960s, that idea. But right. if, you ever know, if you know anybody who actually does that, let me know. <laughs> mm, yeah. Good. Good. Well, I, I've, I've lost count now. I didn't uh, do this scoring. Oh, I'm you? sure you've won. You always win. <laughs> well, learned yes. a few things along the way. Yes, we have. Okay, shall we crack on with the show? Uh, listen, we've got something special coming up in about five, ten minutes, haven't we? Yes. We have got the national premiere of a special cantata that Rachel and I wrote based on one of Rudyard Kipling's Just So stories. So it sounds like more common wise, doesn't it? <laughs> what, what we, we wrote. wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so if you enjoyed the Just So stories at school, uh, stick with us. We're going to give you the musical version of How the Elephant Got Its Nose. But first of all, let's have a Christmas song. Yes, let's go to the epitome of a children's carol, Away in a Manger, sung by Arjo when he was young. 
and with an arrangement that I did years and years ago. Here is Away in a Manger. Thank you to Joe for singing that. Mm, very nice. Yes. <laughs> and now let's move on to the Reverend Simon Lewis and his last thoughts on Christmas for this year. A very happy Christmas to you all on this Christmas Day. Today is my final thought for this 2020 Advent podcast. The passage from the Bible is the Great One of Mystery. It comes from John's Gospel, chapter 1, and you'll find it in the verses 1 to 14. The Word became a human being and, full of grace and truth, lived among us. Do you remember me speaking about the ripples? Well, here's one. A priest went to the hospital on Christmas Eve to visit two people from the church family she looked after. One was a young woman who was ill after having given birth to twins. The other, who was in her eighties, was dying. It reminded her that we are in the midst of life and death, birth and dying. These things surround us and give us an acute sense of both the joy and the fragility of our lives. 
The Christmas story tells us that a light dawned in our world of darkness and fragility. And with this pandemic surrounding us, darkness and fragility are very, very real. Yes, light has dawned in our world of darkness and fragility. A saviour is born. What kind of saviour? One of power and status, born at the centre of empire? No, not at all. One who was revealed in the sign given to the shepherds and by the angels. An ordinary mother, an ordinary birth, and a baby in cloths and lying in a trough. The good news of Christmas, every Christmas, is that God in Christ has taken on our very fragile flesh, has been born of an ordinary woman, and so has accepted the effects of our mortality. God knows the joy and fragility of our lives. In our society, there are plenty who write books and articles, talk on podcasts and the radio, dismissing the existence of God. And then there are others who find their gods in shopping centres, in stocks and shares, in worshipping the sun, in keeping fit, or in eating and drinking. The Gospel, by contrast, proclaims that at the centre of the universe is not a void nor an impersonal force, but the living God. And at Christmas, as we exchange all our material gifts, it is right to give thanks for the greatest gift of all, born in poverty and humility. If you seek it, the gift of God, God's self, in Mary's boy child. I do hope you find this free gift. A joyful Christmas to you all. Thank you very much, Simon. And it's been really great to hear your personal perspective on the Christmas story every day this month. And now we're going to carry on thinking about beautiful thoughts and the nativity and what was going on in the stable. We've had a lot to do with animals in our podcast over the last few days, haven't we? Okay, so this is a poem by Thomas Hardy and it, it has an animal's viewpoint of the happenings in the stable that long ago. Here is The Oxen by Thomas Hardy, read by Dr Sue Edney. The Oxen by Thomas Hardy Christmas Eve and twelve of the clock Now they are all on their knees, an elder said As we sat in a flock by the embers in half-sight ease We pictured the meek, mild creatures Where they dwelt in their strawy pen Nor did it occur to one of us there To doubt they were kneeling then So fair a fancy few would weave in these years Yet I feel if someone said on Christmas Eve Come, see the oxen kneel in the lonely barton By yonder coombe our childhood used to know I should go with him in the gloom Hoping it might be so Thanks very much, Sue. 
OK, we've got a special treat now. I, I hope you think it's a special treat. Sticking on an animal theme, we have a story which for the next 30 minutes or so, I hope you all sit back and enjoy and perhaps listen to the lyrics of the songs that we're going to share with you now. This is a story you're probably very familiar with from childhood. It's uh, The Elephant's Child by Rudyard Kipling. And it's a, perhaps a story which I don't know if it's weathered well with time. It was... I don't think it has. <laughs> and I remember having an argument when you said, let's take this story. And I said, mm, not sure it's very politically correct. So there's uh, a key event that happens throughout this story. And it's um, the issue of spanking comes up <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> Which at the time when it was written, some 100 years ago, was thought of as being, a, I don't know, quite an innocent thing which children came up against uh, on a regular basis. And I think views on it have changed over the years. However, it's part of the story. Think of it and it's the time that it was written and uh, enjoy it for what it is. This is the story of the curious elephant and his insatiable courteosity and a warning of what happens when you ask too many questions. So for this recording, we engage the services of three young singers. Tell us about them, Rachel. Well, they were all singing at the time as choral scholars at St John's College, Cambridge. And we had Alex Simpson, who was singing countertenor for us, Sam Olidende, who was um, baritone, and then Jonathan Hyde, who was bass. Mm -hmm. And three just quite incredible voices. And it's going to be well worth following them and following their careers. They did remarkably well. We They turned up one day, we gave them the musical parts and in about two hours they sight-read and sang the whole thing, didn't they? Yeah, they were <laughs> quite astounding. So, thanks everyone who's been with us for the last month. Yes, thank you to all the people who've read poems and stories, to all the people who we've interviewed and with particular thanks to the Reverend Simon Lewis. Okay, folks, have a very happy day and a happy season of Christmas. And uh, we'll leave you with Rudyard Kipling and the Elephant's Child. Goodbye. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Some stories make you happy While some are full of woe Some stories stir the flames of long ago Stories are in song, but some are just too long. But some stories are just so, just so, just so, just so. Yes, some stories are just so. Some stories are in rhyme, they start once upon a time. Some stories weave their blots to and fro. Some stories are just tall, while some are off the wall. But some stories are just so, just so, just so, just so. Some stories are just so. Sometimes you'll hear a tale on a truly epic scale, or a saga of adventure or romance. Sometimes you'll read a plot that could as like as not.
drag on so long it simply bores you out of your pants. But some stories are so nice, congenial and concise, with a kind of charm that sets your heart aglow. When all these terms apply, you simply can't deny that some stories are just so, just so, just so, just so. Yes, some stories are just So, this is the story of how the elephant got its trunk. Just so. In the high and far-off times, the elephant, oh best beloved, had no trunk. He had only a blackish, bulgy nose, as big as a boot, that he could wriggle about from side to side, but he couldn't pick things up with it. But there was one elephant, a new elephant... An elephant's child, who was full of satiable curiosity. And that means he asked ever so many questions. I wonder why, how could it be? Who is that wants it for? So much to learn, so little time, I'll have to ask you more. Just one more thing I'd like to know before the day is through. That's what and why, where and when, why and how and who. The ostrich, why her feathers grew just so But auntie, I just wondered It's a thing I have to know But the ostrich didn't care to hear his questions anymore So she spanked and spanked and spanked him With her hard, hard claw Yeah, she spanked his elephant bot And made it sore, so, so, so sore It's my sageable curtiosity That leads me to ask why It's part of my philosophy To ask for your reply lot of me if I didn't try to satisfy my curiosity. And he turned, he asked his uncle, the giraffe, why, oh why? His skin was just so spotty and his head reached to the sky. The giraffe was unimpressed and if he needed any Spanked and spanked and spanked him with his hard, 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 hard hoof. Yes, he spanked him till his cries ran through the roof, through the, the roof. It's my satiable curiosity that leads me to inquire. It isn't an atrocity, it's something to admire. There's simply such a lot of detailed knowledge to acquire to satisfy my curiosity. Every day he'd ask more questions, he'd drive the others wild So they spanked him and declared he was a most annoying child If he didn't learn the answers, he would simply sit and fret But his elephantine nature meant he never would forget So Hippopotamus, why are your eyes so red? And buffoon, my hairy uncle, will melons keep us fed? The questions kept on coming with untold velocity. So they spanked and spanked and spanked him, and they spanked and spanked and spanked him, and no one ever thanked him for his curiosity, his satiable One fine morning, 
in the middle of the procession of the equinoxes, this satiable elephant's child asked a new, fine question that he'd never asked before. He asked, What does the crocodile have for dinner? Everyone gasped, and then they said, Hush! in a loud and dreadful tone, and they spanked him immediately and directly without stopping for a long time. By and by, when that was finished, he came upon Colo Colo Bird sitting in the middle of a wait a bit thorn bush, and he said, Colo Colo Bird, you must surely agree with me. It is quite absurd, it was beyond conspiracy. My father has spanked me, my mother has spanked me, please tell me what I can do. So, so many questions, though my backside is black and blue. Colour, you must surely understand. I would have preferred to avoid such a reprimand. So please be so kind and bear it in mind. You are once young too. That very next morning, when there was nothing left of the equinoxes, because the procession had proceeded according to precedent, this satiable elephant's child took a hundred pounds of bananas, the little short red kind, and a hundred pounds of sugar cane, the long purple kind, and seventeen melons, the green crackly kind, and said to all his dear family, Goodbye, I'm going to the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River set about with the fever trees to find out what the crocodile has for dinner. And they all spanked him once more for luck, although he asked them most politely to stop. Then he went away, a little warm but not at all astonished, eating melons and throwing the rind about, because he could not pick it up. Far from home it seems I must wander 
far from home to seek out the truth. Could it be the answers I yonder? Mysteries call me far away, undiscovered and new. All I learn may thrill or appall me, but there I have to go. All I know is here on my doorstep, my world is shallow and small. When your eyes are on the horizon, see the sights, answer the call. Far from home in realms yet uncharted, far from home in lands unexplored. Fortune favors the bold and brave heart in deeds that are damned. Intrepid and valiant, such as my quest to see what the crocodile has for tea. Now you must know and understand, O oh best beloved, that until that very week and day and hour and minute, this satiable elephant's child had never seen a crocodile and didn't know what one was like. It was all his satiable curiosity. So, when at last he came to the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees, the first thing he found was a bi-coloured python rock snake curled around a rock. Excuse me, said the elephant's child, most politely, but have you seen such a thing as a crocodile in these promiscuous parts? Have I seen a crocodile, said the bicoloured python rock snake, in a voice of dreadful scorn. What will you ask me next? My little friend, you're round the bend. I won't pretend that I can comprehend why you should want to meet a crocodile. I'm quite perplexed. What to expect? I really can't imagine what you'll ask me next when you seek to meet a crocodile. A crocodile. Excuse me, sir, I'm sorry if my curiosity should cause you consternation or concern. My answers know some things it's better not to know, such as where to find a crocodile. You may be mad, it makes me sad, and now it seems we're both involved in knowing where to find a crocodile. I'd rather see. So 
I could flee or stay for tea. It's just a crazy fantasy to share a supper with a crocodile, a crocodile. The most agreeable of a keen inquiring mind in a universe of beautiful and Principle, I'd praise the thirst for knowledge of this kind. In practice, you'll discover the question to vast could well be your last. And so, my friend, may I commend a little caution whilst I recommend you stay a mouth. From that crocodile, that wily, smiling, guiding crocodile. Well, excuse me, but if you have seen a crocodile, said the elephant's child, could you kindly tell me what he has for dinner? Then the bicoloured python rock snake uncoiled himself very quickly from the rock and spanked the elephant's child with his scalesome, flailsome tail. That's odd, said the elephant's child, because my father and my mother and my uncle and my aunt, not to mention my other aunt, the hippopotamus, and my other uncle, the baboon, have all spanked me for my satiable curiosity, and I suppose this is the same thing. So he said goodbye very politely to the bicoloured python rock snake and helped to coil him up on the rock again, and he went on. A little warm, but not at all astonished, eating melons and throwing the rind about, because he could not pick it up, until he trod on what he thought was a log of wood at the very edge of the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees. But it was really the crocodile, O oh best beloved, and the crocodile winked one eye like this. Excuse me, kindly elephant, excuse me if you please, have you seen the crocodile about these parts? I've a moon is crossed on it, or ask what's on his bill of fare, and what he favours in the culinary the little one the crocodile invited come here the little one why do you ask oh I just wonder sighed the child the crocodile just smiled then come hither and I'll whisper in your ear all my secrets and the things you want to hear excuse me sighed the child as the raptor Though sometimes hurts I find to my dismay So if it's all he said Now my ramp is black and blue I would rather not be spanked again today Come here the little one The crocodile insisted Come here the little one Never fear To learn what's on my menu Come closer now and then you May have your questions answered, little chap 
and all will be revealed in just a snap. The croc had called his loyal tink that's party, I suppose, and he stuck in their heels and took the string. Then they pulled and pulled and pulled like the steam train in the junkyard, and they pulled and pulled and pulled both hard and mean. But as neither grew the stronger, the poor nose kept getting longer as it stretched to fill the distance in between. I feel my legs are slipping. and inexperienced traveller, cried the bicoloured python rock snake. We will now seriously devote ourselves to a little high tension, because if we do not, it is my impression that yonder self-propelling man of war with the armour-plated upper deck, and by this, O oh best beloved, he meant the crocodile, will permanently vitiate your future career. Um, that's the way that all bicoloured python rock snakes always talk. And they pulled and pulled and pulled Like ringers on the barrel And they pulled and pulled So neither would be swayed And though it seems fantastic My nose is not elastic So once it's stretched That's just the way it stayed And heave And heave And one more The crocodile had at last let go of the elephant's child's nose with a sound that you could hear all up and down the limpopo. Then the elephant's child sat down most hard and sudden, but first he was careful to say thank you to the bicoloured python rock snake. And next he was very kind to his poor pulled nose and wrapped it all up in cool banana leaves and hung it in the great grey-green greasy limpopo to cool. The elephant's child sat there for three days waiting for his nose to shrink. But it never grew any shorter. And besides, it made him squint. For, O oh best beloved, you will see and understand that the crocodile had pulled it out into a really, truly trunk. The same as all elephants have today. I do with a nose like this, with a nose that's five feet long. I've waited now for three whole days and still it seems so wrong. To pass the time I've learned a trick that's fun, I can't deny. When something buzzes in my ear, my nose can swat that fly. My nose can swat that fly. That's right, it's vantage number one. The python rocks they cry. Is no surprise you can cause that flies demise. But what can I do with a nose like this, with a nose that curls around? When I stand up tall, in spite of all, my nose is on the ground. But still, I love the tasty grass that grows from north to south. I can pull it up and with my nose transpose it to my mouth. Transpose it to my mouth That's right, it's vantage number two Crowd the snake, it's simply grill With a chunky trunk you can eat your fill And eat your fill at will 
there are oh so many ways your new trunk will be your aid. The Miss Mir knows you used to own was simply second grade. Now think of this idea, and I'll accept a simple thank you. Imagine what your nose could do. So the elephant's child went home across Africa, frisking and whisking his trunk. When he wanted fruit to eat, he pulled fruit down from a tree instead of waiting for it to fall, as he used to do. When the flies bit him, he broke off a branch of a tree and used it as a fly whisk. And he made himself a new, cool, slushy, squashy mud cap whenever the sun was hot. And when he felt lonely walking through Africa, he sang to himself down his trunk, and the noise was louder than several brass bands. One dark evening, he came back to all his dear families, and he curled up his trunk and said, How do you do? And they were very glad to see him, and immediately said, Come here and be spanked for your satiable courteosity. Pooh, said the elephant's child. I don't think you know anything about spanking, but I do, and I'll show you. Then that bad elephant's child spanked all his dear families for a long time, till they were very warm and greatly astonished. He picked up his hairy uncle the baboon by one hairy leg, and he hove him into a hornet's nest. He pulled out his tall ostrich aunt's tail feathers, and he caught his tall uncle the giraffe by the hind leg and dragged him through a thorn bush. And he shouted at his broad aunt, the hippopotamus, and blew bubbles into her ear when she was sleeping in the water after meals. But he never let anyone touch Colo Colo Bird. At last things grew so exciting that his dear families went off one by one in a hurry to the banks of the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees, to borrow new noses from the crocodile. And when they came back, no one spanked anyone any more. And ever since that day, O oh best beloved, all the elephants you will ever see, besides those that you won't, have trunks precisely like the trunk of the satiable elephant's child. Oh, 
makes the core of the world. In his presence is no one white. Let's add some prose in praise of the elephant's nose. Long and strong and versatile, I'll tense our prehensile and everyone knows there's much more to Songs we compose of this most grandiose.